Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm your host, Young Me Mayor. And I'm your other co-host, Brian Park. Yeah, and um, so I guess I guess before we get started on um, the first episode ever, we should discuss how we got to the name, the title, Feeling Asian. Yeah. Um, well, we this is a podcast about two Asian people wanting to be totally open and vulnerable with their emotions and feelings. Yeah, radical transparency. Radical transparency, being completely open with no shame, which I feel like is a big thing. Th- I think community. shame is a, is integral to the Asian experience. Yeah, it's just uh, just what we're made to do all the time. I mean, that's what Japanese samurais would do is they would suicide, seppuku themselves because of shame. Yeah, because they would rather die than talk about their erectile dysfunction <laughs> but you know what that's for another episode literally um we yeah so i guess like based on that stereotype of asians we met each other as two comedians in new york city and we got along really well because we realized that we are very open emotionally yeah and we don't have any problem discussing things that would maybe be embarrassing not only to asian people but to just other regular human beings I came down that road later in life because for a long time I carried a lot of shame about my thoughts and about some of my desires. Uh And I don't know, I guess growing up, I just lived my life according to a blueprint and the word, the operative word should existed a lot. Like I should be doing this. I should be doing that because I want to do something else. I feel a lot of shame. And it wasn't until I started going to therapy about, a year ago when I started to realize how harmful and dangerous the word should is. Yep. And in general, you know, as growing up as a kid, if I had seen other Asians who were as open and transparent about a variety of things, it would have been able to quell any of this shame that I had. Like it would have been helpful for you to see somebody being open about what they were going through too. Totally. Is Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but just culturally that wasn't accepted. That's actually interesting. Cause I, I know that I also come across as very just like open all the time, but I did have the same similar journey as you where for a long time, all of my uh, motivations were based on shame. Nunchi, which is like a Korean word. A Korean word for like a look. Nunchi just means like you do things according to the unwritten, unspoken social norms. Yeah. And so it's like if you do something that's like not normal, as my mom would say, then like the older, like the adults give you nunchi and then they're like, you're like out of line. Right. So that's like this unspoken, constant, like shame level experience. So I didn't know how much of that I was like sort of adhering to until very recently through therapy as well yeah so yeah i mean yeah in general i think we are both uh we both don't adhere to conventional norms of asian american expectations yes because as you mentioned just right now i think a lot of asian culture has unwritten rules Uh and uh fear of judgment is um like a big motivating factor of a lot of actions. Right, right. And I think we are an example of people who kind of broke away from that standard. Yeah, for sure. And I know for a fact that I experienced a lot of judgment from my own family, but I honestly, yeah, but I don't care. And it's great. (laughs) That was the most weak like i don't care (laughs) (laughs) zero conviction i don't care that what my parents say i'm just kidding i'm always like i don't give a shit about what my parents say but then i'm like please love me and accept me (laughs) i'm so sorry um well well, like i think this is a good place maybe to talk about our backgrounds and then we can talk about i mean you just said that we're both comedians yeah we are but um yeah if you're tuning in Young me, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Me. Okay. So as you said, we're both comedians. Um, my, I am Asian American, but I do have like a different like uh, sort of background than the stereotypical story you hear. Because, you know, like the story that you hear all the time is like the Asian American person. Parents are immigrants that work really hard and then they send their kids to like a great college and they're obsessed with the college. I uh, grew up mostly in Korea and on on an island called Saipan. So I didn't live in the States. Until Where is Saipan? Saipan is a small island that's um, basically 
east of Japan. If you it sounds fly. like you don't even know where Saipan <laughs> is. <laughs> it's like it's east of in the Pacific, <laughs> next to Guam. <laughs> like yeah, like I'm just making this up. I I could be making it up. No one's gonna Google it. But it is um, you just like directly I guess southeast of Japan, like kind of between not really, but kind of between Japan and Hawaii. Okay. And it's a tropical island. It's an American Commonwealth. Okay. Um, it's very small. And so I grew up there my childhood, even, but, uh, and I'm also half white and half Korean. And I think even there, my dad's not in the military, which is usually what a lot of people who are half Korean and half white, that's their story. Yeah, that's what I assume. Yeah. So he's not in the military. So it's like sort of um, a little different than what you hear. So your dad was just an aimless expat? in korea when he met your mom no actually my parents met in alaska which my mom my mom did marry someone in the american military and then she moved with him to alaska and they got divorced oh and she had my sister my half sister okay and then she met my dad in alaska and then they moved back to korea together and i was born and so my parents are just sort of like eccentric like my dad has lived most of his adult life in africa and I, you know like they're just like eccentric people and yeah then my mom was working at the baskin robbins in anchorage do you know what i mean like it that's does make so crazy yeah so no their stories don't really make a lot of sense but um, for them so for your dad it's like where's the weirdest place i could go to korea honestly i feel like he was like doing that's like literally what he was doing with his life because he's from jersey city and he i just feel like he was like gotta get out of here let's just go anywhere else <laughs> like that's literally his life story um and so I, I just bring that up because i did live this sort of life that's not that you don't really hear about when you think of like asian americans and also i didn't go to college which is I think is a huge thing. I have like a bunch of tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at them. You got a lot of <laughs> tattoos. I got, you know, I got a lot of tattoos. I had like, you know, like a rough sort of life dealing with like a drug dependency and like, you know, like I've just lived a life live like working blue collar jobs. Yeah. And, and even saying blue collar jobs seems like such a like white collar way to say that. Like <laughs> I was working in the, no, but poor people like stuff. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and like i grew up like very poor my my parents still don't really have any money and you know i do comedy like mm-hmm. it's just like uh and i feel like for me being that kind of asian american i feel like sometimes i want to be the representation for that kind of asian american yeah i feel like there's a lot of people asian people that live this sort of life that's not what you see on tv no where they all went to harvard or whatever or right? there are crazy rich asians yeah and with so lamborghinis yeah there's a bunch of us like you know we're just scratching the surface in sacramento of asian representation yeah yeah so that's sort of like my background and w- how but you know even though i do have like a different background yeah it's crazy because we have very similar stories when we talk about our relationship with emotions and mental health right totally i mean i remember when i met you yeah you mentioned that you operated like a successful business Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i got to know you a little bit more yeah that you made me attuned to all of these other life experiences that you endured and all of this adversity that you overcame to get to where you are today right and that's what i really like about you is that I feel like you have a very balanced perspective and you're very open-minded because you've experienced so much. Right, right. And you're coming, you come from a lot of, from a place of zero judgment. Yeah. Because you've experienced so much. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, yeah, I guess like my life has been so not, you know, like not, I, I don't know if I'm like, I feel like you're giving me praise right now, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm you're a like, bad I feel I, I really uncomfortable yeah, right like, now. I don't even know what to say. I'm like, I guess I am a good person. Do I sound like a bitch? Like, that's like, <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. I'm sweating now. It is like, 90 degrees out. It's can 90 we? degrees outside. We are in an air conditioned room, and young me is sweating more <laughs> than she was when she walked into my apartment. <laughs> like this i don't um okay okay, so we'll we'll, we'll take the attention away from you so i'm (laughs) uh unlike young me i had a more conventional asian american upbringing uh my parents are both korean immigrants they came to this country 38 years ago um you know almost zero money 
And uh, I was born and raised in Texas in a predominantly white and Hispanic community. And I went to boarding school for high school in wow. California. Yeah, it was very Gossip Girl. <laughs> like we all religiously watched Gossip Girl. Really? And it wasn't because it wasn't like aspirational. It was more, oh, like this is us. Like you related to <laughs> it? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like I want a life like that. We all watched it. We're like, this is sick. Like these this are, is what we're going they're through. They're like a poor people version of you. <laughs> You're like, look at these poor people with their Louis Vuitton handbags. No, no, so no. So last season. Um. Yeah, and then after that, I went to college in L.A. where I was a pre-med. And, you know, I, I graduated with a biology degree, took my MCATs. I was about to go to medical school, and I was just really unhappy doing it. And wow. around this time, I started to try stand-up comedy, and I just really f loved it and have been doing it ever since. So when you before you went to med school, did you think you were going to like it? Go to med school? Oh, I'm sorry. You, you didn't go to med school. Sorry. I didn't go to med school. I yeah, almost but before, did. So what? So this is the thing. So you, did you, why did you like take your... Well, this like, is what it, what it goes, I like it goes back to how there's a lot of shoulds in yeah, Asian yeah. culture. I see. So from a young age, my parents groomed me to become a doctor. Like they planted a seed in my brain for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Like they told me that doctor was a good job and it's very stable. You make a lot of money. And so for a very long time, I just, I'd never even considered other career avenues. Mm -hmm. I just was so singularly minded on becoming a doctor. And I think it's a double-edged sword. Mm. Um, I have a lot of respect and uh, like a lot of admiration for people who are in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. But I think it is also a profession where you can detach yourself from your feelings and emotions mm. and still become one. Because the steps are so clear to becoming right. a doctor. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like comedy, it is so nebulous, it's so amorphous, that if you don't have the passion to do it, yeah. you're not going to make it. And to be good at like the arts, whether it's comedy or whatever, you have to be very in tune with your emotions. And yeah. Which sounds like the opposite of like what a doctor... I, there are a lot of I'm doctors sure yeah, who sure are very passionate, passionate yeah. about their work. But, but you could I do was it. so unhappy all throughout college. Right. But I was a very, I respected my parents so much and I was very obedient. So I would study even though I hated studying what I was studying. Right. I would just do it. Can I ask wh how, because like it could have very much happened that you would have just followed through with it and then became a doctor and then just been a doctor for the rest of your life or whatever. Yeah. Why? How did you get to the point where you finally said no, you know? Um, I think bec so because I was so detached from my emotions, Yeah, I was very depressed as a pre-med, oh. but I still got really good grades because it's I'm... It's the Asian way. It's the Asian way, just <laughs> I'm sheer... I'm so unhappy, but I'm top of my class. Sheer tenacity <laughs> and brute force. Um... <laughs> No, I I've always cons found my I've always considered myself to be a creative person. Yeah. I just I didn't know how to play an instrument. I don't know how to draw or paint. So I didn't know what the right uh, medium was to mm. express my creativity. And I grew up watching some stand up because my dad would watch it. Right. And growing up in a lot of white communities, I think I naturally developed a sense of humor as a way to cope with discrimination that I experienced as an Asian person. Right. So it was a survival mechanism that I, that I just gained. Like, so when people would throw like racial epithets at me, mm -hmm. I would just kind of just brush it off, like laugh mm -hmm. it off or have like a quick witty reply to it. Right. And so anytime I felt uncomfortable with my emotions, I would just flip it into a joke. <gasps> yeah. And that's what drew me to what, so that drew me to stand up comedy because I thought I was funny and I liked the autonomy of being able to write something and be able to perform it. Mm -hmm. And it was very liberating. And I became addicted to that feeling of emotional liberation right. where I'm on stage and I get to really express how I want to feel. And because I lacked that for so long that when I found it, it became an obsession. Right. Yeah. So you were never in theater as like a, uh, like a I don't know high school student or something like that. No, oh, okay, I wasn't because you were not allowed, or you just didn't know that you were. I just didn't because it it deviated from med school. 
Right. I'm like, wow. I'm going to, I'm going to be a doctor. So why would I even entertain the idea of doing mm. a school production? Right. Yeah. You know, did I was something about the where you said that you would use humor as a way to like fight the like racist stuff that was happening to you. I'm I've met, you know, now I have a lot of Asian American friends who only grew up in America, like white America, and a lot of them they say they were the only Asian person in a ho- totally white classroom. Yeah. And some of them still live in these like to- small towns that they're from. And when I hang out with them now, even as like people in our mid 30s, they a lot of their humor is like this very like racist humor against themselves. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll be like, you know, I'll just be talking to them and they'll be like, oh, me love you long time. You know what I mean? And I'm like, why are you doing that voice? <laughs> do you know, like people like, do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly because and, I was that. And so it's, I was going to ask you, was that the kind of humor that you would do to sort of like appease your white like peers? Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, yeah. I felt... And in some ways, I felt almost embarrassed mm. to be Asian. Like, right. my mom would pack me kimchi lunches yeah. in middle school. And I would ask her to not do that because I would get made fun of because yeah. of the way it smelled. Right. Or I would make, I remember making jokes about how I'm like, oh, well, like, girls don't like me because I'm Asian. Mm. And be like, har, har, har. Yeah. And it sickens me now. But yeah. it's just part of uh, growing up and coming to terms with your identity well i mean it's it's funny because i feel like a lot of asian Amer- and i feel like i did this too even though where i grew up it was very very diverse and there was a lot of asian people there um and a lot of people from different cultures yeah and it was like you know just like an island it was just like an island of like i don't even know what to say <laughs> like just ran i, I mean no you don't even know where saipan is i don't even so know I, don't where I made it up know. it's in my head first of all <laughs> so it doesn't really exist so there was a lot of you know ostriches and <laughs> leopards i don't know um but you know like the people that ended up there just sort of randomly ended up there like my family so yeah. it's just like a bunch of just like lost souls and no one could it's really like focus. a cult of yeah. people <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just it's like jonestown or something it's just yeah. me and 80 of my husbands or it was nice. It's um, like, I don't drink Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I like, what was I going to say? When I hear, yeah, I, I think I hear a lot of people, like Asian American people talking about that. And sometimes it's uh, talking about that when they become adults, having to shed that super racist kind of humor yeah. that they developed as children to mm-hmm. like, protect themselves and th- and then like what i was saying about people i know that are like still my age making jokes like that i'm like <sighs> move away <laughs> yeah like, you because you know these are people that still live in their small towns but totally it's it's sad yeah i mean it's hard so, to see you know we met each other in the new york comedy community yeah but like what drew you to stand up or comedy and just like expression um, so stand up, I always wanted to do like all my life, but this, my journey into doing stand up is, has a lot to do with, I feel like the broad topic of our podcast, which is emotions and like what we learn from our culture, right? And yeah. shame. Um, I feel like this is a true story. I've always, I've always known I've wanted to do stand up since I was a kid. Really? Like, when I was a kid, I used to watch stand up all the time. Like that's all I would watch on TV. In Saipan. Yeah, in Saipan. Whoa. We we got all the stations. They were <laughs> they were one month late, one full. Mu- I don't know why they were one month late. So everything for everything we, for all the shows. Oh, but weird. we got them one month late. So I would watch like comedy. So Central. you're watching the New Year's Eve ball drop on yeah. February first. Seriously, and then I felt like st- well, I don't think we could enter them anyway but you know on tv there always be those sweepstakes oh so you would just like be late Dunkaroos for or something it's like make sure to send it in by august 3rd and it'll be like august 14th and i'm like fuck <laughs> i can't win a million dollars in dunkaroo cash or something but like but um it's, but i would watch stand up all the time and i knew that that's what i wanted to do yeah. i literally never said it out loud until okay two years ago in therapy and then literally the next day i like started doing open mics whoa and i said it out loud to my therapist and she was like that's so weird you've never talked about anything like that ever and i'm like i've literally never said that out loud in my entire life so it was just an afterthought even when you brought it up in therapy you were like going in depth about your feelings and then at the very end you're like oh by the way i want to try stand up and she's like "Mm, that's our time young (laughs) yeah yeah, literally i was like 
Yeah, so I, I feel really br- good about myself. Also, you know, I've wanted to do stand-up all my life since I was a child. Never said it out loud. Bye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And so then after I said it out loud, I just started doing it. And then, like, I just started doing it every day. Yeah. And for me, it has a lot to do with, I, I think this will ring, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, being allowed to be feeling like you're allowed to do something that makes you happy does that make sense yes like just just thinking like in my mind i was like i'm not allowed to ever do stand-up because that would actually make me very happy Mm. and i'm first of all who am i to like think i'm important enough to be heard who am i to think i can get in front of people and talk yeah. You know, this is like So it's very good that we're doing a podcast right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen to me. The entire time yeah. it's just like 20% confidence, 80% yeah. like why are people going to listen to this? Yeah. <laughs> They're not. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but you know like I, so just think just thinking that I deserve to have anyone listen to me and then at this point in my life um you know my close friends know that this is how I act. Yeah. But up to this point I literally never talked. Like I really? never talked in public. I would go to parties. I wouldn't say anything. I would just sit there. Yeah. And that was like my life. Like I was, you know, like my life. Um, I, I, I just got divorced, but I was married to somebody that was like, uh, someone that was a little bit more prominent. So we would go places and everybody would want to talk to him. And like, that was my role. And I was very comfortable in that role. You were comfortable because that's what I thought I deserved. That's what I was like raised to think that I deserved that. Like I am some, somebody that's there to help somebody else. Wow. Like a caretaker, which is like my mom's role in my family. And that's like what I learned watching her. Yeah. And, um, and so, but then like, obviously through therapy, I was like, that's, that's not what I want in my life. And you know what? Like, why can't I just say, this is what I want to do? Yeah. Why can't I just try to do it? Do you know what I mean? So do you think that realization of wanting to be heard and wanting to express yourself more impacted your marriage? Because from that Um, point forward, you're, you're presenting like a different version of yourself because for a long time you said you felt comfortable being the assistant or kind of playing into the more um like you were comfortable just being quiet well the thing is that like i um no because my my ex-husband was very supportive of me Mm -hmm. and he knew who i was because i was like this in our like you know in our relationship i was who i am yeah and then i would just like sort of shut down when i go into public i see and so but so he was very supportive but then i also realized unfortunately part of the realization of like understanding what i want also was like i don't want to really be in this relationship anymore i you know see what i mean so yeah. that that's why we got divorced it wasn't in any way that he was like making me be like this no it yeah, was, was it's was not like a like chain that. reaction it was just an all-encompassing realization that yeah you, you just became more in tune with your feelings and overall. also maybe he was looking for somebody like that that was sort of quiet and would take like the back seat and i wanted i was willingly doing that like he wasn't making me do that so that was why our relationship worked so well yeah but then i was like wait a minute that's not actually who i am totally and he was okay with the fact that i was gonna just be myself but then i also was like i don't really want to be in this relationship i just want to be by myself and explore and stuff so yeah that's surprising to me because yeah when i first met i remember the first time i saw you it was at an open mic and as you know open mics are shitty but when you're starting comedy you have to do them because it's the only way to get experience and get good (laughs) and you were going off on how fucked up your korean mom was to you yeah and i remember no one was really laughing but as i was watching you i was like yo this is my shit right here i feel like you were laughing i was laughing so much because it was like i felt like i was being seen like this was (laughs) it was just speaking to me on at such a deep carnal level and so i was like oh like you got tattoos, and I'm like, you dress really cool. And I'm like, oh, I really want to be friends with this person. Aww. But primarily, I remember talking to you. I was like, hey, that stuff about how your Korean mom fucked you up was really good. <laughs> was, uh, tell us more, Brian. <laughs> What's your story about your Korean mom? Oh, gosh. My, well, <laughs> my, uh, she, well, my parents are very supportive of my comedy career now. Right. But at first, it, it, it took some getting used to. Oh, yeah. I, it wasn't until they saw me perform where they uh could understand like why i would be interested in something like this yeah and you know it's very um my parents are very results oriented so rather than 
just being able to accept that I enjoyed the process of writing jokes and being able to express myself on stage. Uh It wasn't really until they saw me do a show where it was sold out and I did well on it where they were like, oh, you're good at this. Right. So this is something like now I can accept you doing this because you're good at it. But when you quit like your medical career i don't even know how to say this because i've never went to college (laughs) when you quit quit doing your your degrees in uh, medicine health then they were upset right when you quit school um well they just couldn't believe it wow they thought it was a um like a phase and then the phase just never went away and then you would go back to school and become a doctor yeah Mm. well i mean to this day my parents still ask if i could go to grad school for comedy and I'm like, what? <laughs> Was there a grad school for comedy? No, but going to grad school for comedy <laughs> would that be like the that worst means. possible thing for your comedy career? You go not only go into debt, but then there is like you're taking time away from being able to do comedy. Yeah, that's amazing. Totally. But uh, um, yeah, so. That's th- our background. Yeah, I, I just we met each other. We, we clicked. We vibed. Um, I think we're very in tune when it comes to expressing our feelings and our emotions. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just think that it would be I'm at this place in my life now uh-huh. where I'm all about. I don't know. I just it's it's like a drug to me just being able to speak to my feelings because yes. i think for such a long time yes that i did not give myself permission to yeah yeah i i feel the same way now like you know being raised in a certain way where um you i don't know i like i you know my whole thing with like the stereotypes about asians i really dislike hearing them because i don't necessarily think it's true but there is like a certain amount of emotional repression that happens in Asian society. Mm-hmm. It's not fully like how people say it in America. Cause I feel like that, I, that understanding of it is through like the white gaze where they're like, you are all like st- stuffed up and quiet. And I'm like, that's not necessarily like a hundred percent true, but there is a lot of like, interesting in Asian culture. There is a lot of think about the others before yourself, which Absolutely. I think is a great thing thing about their culture and everyone should have there should be more of that in america if anything Mm -hmm. but that does lead to like extreme or like parts of the society where it's not good for people because it's like it just basically becomes like everything you feel before you can express it think about how other people were, will react to it and Absolutely. that's very harmful sometimes to people yeah my parents do that to me all the time yeah. where if they if they uh if they don't agree with something that i do yeah their rebuttal is always well what do you like what do you like have you ever thought about us like what yeah. do you think our family would think of you if they found out you were doing this yeah. and that's where i'm as an asian american i think this is integral to our experience as Asian Americans is that we're caught in between. Like you said, in uh, Western like American society, it's very individualistic. Like yeah. your feelings come first. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all about if you have a dream, go for it. Whatever you're feeling, just do it. And yeah. being raised here, I admire and I agree with those with that mantra. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the Asian side w- that I was grow- like that I was raised with at home, where it's yeah. about your feelings come secondary to the greater system. Yeah. I think I think there's like a a balance there because like living in America, and I know like all Americans can see this, how damaging that ideology is to America. Yeah. Just to like put yourself first and think about what you feel, you know, yeah. more than like and especially with white Americans, like having that entitlement of like how their emotions are more important than anything else. That's like where where you get like these white women calling cops on like I'm scared of this like ten year old black child. Like it's all these terrible things are sort of like kind of from that like yeah. really it's like they don't realize that intense they're ideology. within this they're in this uh they're like a cog in this systemic racism yeah because so everyone's so entitled to like make sure that their voice is hurt you know you, you always hear that and people get like panicky and they're like no 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 you everyone needs to hear me like yeah and a lot of people that live in america that feel oppressed in another way like sort of it comes out in this weird way where they they feel then entitled and like 
this is okay this is too sloppy but like <laughs> but you know there's a lot of like this is getting too big I'm and listening. like now i'm just like we're at, what am i even talking about You're like what's medical school uh, all i'm saying what what is it <laughs> is it med what is it but um but what i'm trying to say is like uh, this all i'm trying to say is that there are a lot of problems that happen in american society based on that ideology yeah I think and it's in the same way there's a lot of problems that happen with asian ideology of putting others before you and i feel like there is a balance between the two absolutely like as a person you are entitled to when you're sad you can just cry you should be allowed to cry and everyone else should just be okay with that and you know even I mean? if like, like yeah and even if you're crying that you're like you your fa- like your favorite sneakers got sold out online whatever you know emotions are not logical no they don't have any logic sometimes you cry and you're like i don't even know but that's like our right as human beings you know as long as it's not uh, and sometimes stabbing it's li- people and it's sometimes like, i'm angry i'm gonna stab all these <laughs> that's obviously you shouldn't do that yeah but like if you're angry you should we should as a world society be like this person's angry. They can just scream or whatever. We yeah. should all allow each other to do that without hurting anyone else. And like in in Asia, yeah, there is very little allowance of that because like if no. you see somebody like crying on the street, like in Korea, people are like, "Oh, 재수 없어, Like, who do you think you are? Like, what? Everyone gets mad. Like, just shut up and like, yeah, read a book or something. You know, like I don't know, go home and punch a wall or whatever. You know, like yeah, they, like my parents are what are much like what you just described because from a very young age i would get in trouble for being quote-unquote too sensitive right because my parents felt that being a man was being aloof being detached from your emotions and just working hard just putting your head down and working hard and so when i would express myself i would get in trouble for being too sensitive then i would start crying and then my parents would uh, then I would get in even more trouble because they would say like, why are you crying? Like you cry too much. You're a cry baby. Right. And that's all repression. Mm-hmm. And I grew up and became conditioned in that way. And yeah, men in general that are not even Asian go through that a lot. Right. Cause it's totally, like, but also, but in Korea women also, cause there's a culture of like shame. Even women are not really allowed to show emotions. Like my, well, me growing up, like people would be, if I cried, my mom would make fun of me and be like, Oh, you're so like, you're such a like little weak baby. Look at you crying. Like it was very much like beat out of us to not show emotions. Mm. And then I feel like a lot of my friends who are Koreans and like other Asians in general. Now, even when we have emotions, we're just like, oh, that's fine. Like, blah, blah, blah. and then we just don't show it. And we like deal with it in other ways. Yeah. Right. It's, it's crazy. It's shameful to have feelings. It is very shameful. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. It shows weakness. It shows weakness. But why? I mean, this is where probably why we get along so well is that I don't understand why it's considered a weakness. To me, at least being empathic, being comfortable expressing yourself is is a form of strength. Yeah. Because it's uh, it's the most you're presenting the most authentic version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say that being said, what I do have a lot of friends in Korea because, you know, I lived there for so long and they were just straightforward, like straight up Koreans, not Asian Americans, just Koreans. Right. Yeah. And they when I when I'm hanging out with them and I react in ways that are very like authentically pure, they react very strongly, positively towards Mm. it. They like like it a lot. Really? And they read it as like like just some somebody that's like very close to them like yeah. it, like we get very close fast ah. and there's a lot and there's a lot this is the thing that that's why i'm always like iffy to throw out stereotypes about asians so fast because yeah. living in korea being being from korea versus growing up here when i lived in korea there's like because everyone in the society reacts a certain way yeah so, you know not really but like in a similar way there are these things that happen where people do get very emotionally connected in other ways, you know, because all of us were restricted in being emotional, like in front of our parents. Yeah. Like when we hung out with our friends, we'd get very close and emotionally open. And that happens because that's an outlet, obviously. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when I hear people being like, Oh, Asians are so emotionally repressed. You're like, to me, that sounds like a white person that's met like 10 
Asian people. Really? And of course, like Asian people act repressed around white people because because you don't my know. parents my parents yeah. encouraged repression. So no, my, my even if it's not, even if it's not a white thing, yeah, I yeah. think because I was born and raised in America. Right. I don't mean to generalize, but I th- do feel that a lot of Asians had a similar experience to mine. But like, don't you feel like this? This is what I'm trying to say. I, uh, you're right. It's not like just. It's sometimes yes, there is like a lot of that going on, like within the community that's like with other races. Yeah. But like, for you, like, did you have like Korean friends growing up too, like Korean no. church or anything? You no. had none, 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 never, none. Really? Yeah. At all? None. Because for me, basically, like. And my other like Asian American friends, yeah. they would have like this repressed world with your rep- repressed parents, yeah. and then your friends would go out and then get fucking crazy. Maybe that's how be, like, Asian express Asian expression occurs in just huge spurts. So yeah. for a very long time, it's repression, and then yeah. like when I I used to, I lived in Korea for a year, and like and I go to Korea pretty frequently. Yeah, and when I'd go out, to me that's like the strongest connection is when I see these like shit-faced korean businessmen yeah. like eating kbbq and like fucked up on soju at like 2 a.m and they're just like spouting off and talking and they're connected it's like they're making up for all of that lost time that's, and opportunity that's what i'm talking about basically because like you just secretly meet up with your friends get shit-faced and like and just say like fight. crazy things it's just like fight the girl next to you for <laughs> god knows what reason oh my just god slapping this bitch i'm just kidding i've only done that like twice oh um, my god and, like, and you know like you you get together with your friends and then you like talk shit about your parents and school and like the, it, like it's because the society is so like strict yeah it's like we need to blow off steam and they do do that you know what i mean it's like yeah but I mean, at least in american media mm-hmm. i do think that they portray Asians as a monolith and yeah, it yeah. is that we're, that we're nerds, we're humans. dorks, we're not expressive and we're they not just don't have emotive. emotions. Exactly. You know, they don't know that we just go and get shit faced at 3am drinking soju. Yeah. Beating up women sitting next to us. That's <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm just kidding. I literally have never done that. I've, I've yelled at a lot of them, but <laughs> most, and a lot of men too. I'm not just going for the, yeah, um, but you know, we're here to change that. This is why we wanted to do this podcast yeah. is to, show that the Asian experience is very complex and it's very nuanced. Exactly. And, and also, so th- yeah. That's why I'm going to ask you, how are oh. you feeling? Oh, yeah. Do we want to say that we're going to, going moving forward, we're going to start each episode by asking us each other how we feel? Yeah. Should I say that or no? But, you know, it's a segment, but also I'm just asking you how you're feeling oh, right okay. now. Oh, okay. You really want to know. It's not just for the podcast? <laughs> is that what you're saying? I'm just so in it right you're now. You're just being I don't my even, friend? Are, are we even doing a podcast now? <laughs> the mics are, are not on. <laughs> this is just me trying to find a friend, Brian. You're, you're doing that thing where you get uncomfortable again. I brought, yeah, I, I brought soju. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to get hit by young me. Oh my god, I, I brought my little grill. Do you know? Do you ever go to like, Korean parties and they have like that little gas grill on the floor? And oh yeah, like, the grilling. butane gas grill. And then yeah, and there's and then you in the and you put that bounty to collect. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you in the hall? Just do <laughs> okay um yeah so wait you're asking me how i'm feeling yeah so i'm feeling you know i feel um this something that happened this week that i'm actually proud about mm-hmm. is because and it has something to do with therapy but so you know like as an adult i like go out and drink right yeah and um I having to do a lot with the shame thing. I feel like whenever I found myself, whenever I went out and like had fun and drank a lot the next Mm -hmm. morning, I would feel so guilty and just really ashamed. And Mm -hmm. like, it would just be like overpowering sense of like shame and like, blah 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 is it only with drinking or if it's with uh like it's well it was it used to be every single day without drinking okay every day i would wake up and i I had really bad depression for most of my adult life that only now has uh, cleared up a little bit Mm -hmm. every morning i would wake up feeling deeply ashamed and you would just find a reason yeah to be ashamed well it was mostly about because my body like okay. i would just like have really bad body dysmorphia my parents used to be really hard on me about my body Yo, korean so, moms are yeah. they just tell it how it is so every morning i would just f- wake up and immediately just be like covered in this intense shame and guilt and just like about you know like oh i you know like even when i wasn't drinking if i w- like went out and like had a big dinner like oh my god i had so much dinner or anything that I was doing, I would find like something, I would feel bad first and then I would find a reason why I 
felt bad or whatever. But as I went to therapy more and more, every morning that got better. Like I would wake up and I would feel fine. But then every once in a while, if I go out and drink a lot, I, that would sort of like um, trigger that feeling again and I would wake up and feel really ashamed and mm. then I, I talked to my therapist and she was like well what did you do while you were drinking like did you you know like like what are the things that you did and I told her I'd be like well I was laughing really loud and I talked a lot and she was like why are you ashamed about that that just sounds like you were having fun a good time yeah and, and I was like well and then I like I don't know. I started dancing. And she's like, you were at a bar and peop- other people were dancing. And then right? I had another beer. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, and you know, I don't know. And like, I spent money. And, and then she was I like, told my boyfriend I loved him. <laughs> I held my boyfriend's hand in front of other people. <laughs> they think I'm a slut. Um, and then she was like, okay. So she was like, so I would tell her all these things. And she was like, okay you've never told me anything to make me feel like you have like an issue with drinking. Like you've never said that you like hit somebody or, you know, like broke something or got lost and fell asleep on the street or something. And she was like, everything that you're telling me just sounds like normal things that adults do to have fun when they're drinking. Yeah. Like adults just go out and drink sometimes and then they talk a lot and maybe say something embarrassing, like a poop joke or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but none of that sounds like you did anything wrong. And so she was like, why? She was like, but what's concerning is that you are like having these like deep shame and guilt feelings for just being like a normal person. Yeah. And, like she was like the shame and guilt is like what's concerning to me, like mm. not the drinking. And yeah. then when she said that, it was kind of like a breakthrough for me. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's like I'm basically feeling bad for doing stuff that's normal and acceptable like what is that like sometimes i would feel like really guilty because i would like eat a big dinner and she's like sometimes people just eat a big dinner like you you know like you like are hard on yourself and you like exercise and diet all the time yeah that's really hard cut loose you know like you're just cutting loose it's yeah that's that must that must have been really hard because it feels it, it seems like you've conditioned yourself into uh believing that you were undeserving of pleasure or fun yes which i feel like is a big asian theme Mm -hmm. like having fun is like a no-no yeah and so when she said that it was like a big breakthrough and so last friday i went out with our friend mike um and you know the next morning i woke up and i was like you know, I don't feel bad. I didn't do anything weird. Yeah. I was just like, I just like went and had, I did drink a lot, but like I didn't like. I only made two poop jokes. Yeah, I only made two poop jokes. I only like, <laughs> <laughs> and so then I was like, you know, I, I woke up feeling sort of like the, the. I feel like, you know, in therapy when you work through something and you're yeah. over it mentally, but there's still like muscle memory. Yeah, so I mean, I even if like you have a breakthrough, it takes practice. Yeah, like so anything. I felt that those like muscles of like shame and guilt, like coming back. But yeah. then in my in my head, intellectually being like, I didn't do anything wrong. Shut yourself up. But then also when I saw Mike, I was like, was I being stupid last night? And I was like, and then I felt bad for asking that because I don't feel bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's conditioned into you. It's conditioned into me to feel bad for having fun. Oh. But I, I just want to say that that was like something that came up with me last week where I was proud of myself yeah. for not falling into the well of like feeling ashamed for having fun. That's awesome. Yeah, it's wor- I'm working on it. Yeah, I'm really proud of you. Thanks, Brian. How about you? How are you feeling? Um, I'm a little... I'm very excited that we're doing this podcast. Me That's too. how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. But this weekend... I was feeling a really down on myself because mm. I, kn- I I felt very lonely. That was the predominant emotion that I felt was like a sadness and a loneliness. Um, I think for, you know, in college, I was when I was studying to become a doctor and I was so unhappy with doing this thing I didn't want to do. Um, yeah. I became very depressed and I never really had a lot of friends and so that was a source of insecurity for me like I kind of convinced myself that I played into this role of being like a solitary guy so I would like eat at restaurants alone by myself I would go see comedy shows by myself I would do things by myself a lot in college yeah and just accept that that oh this is uh this is just who I am and that's okay and then once I fat started doing comedy 
um, and made friends, then it's sort of like a, it's to what should be like an obvious realization is that it's like, oh, well, life is much more enjoyable when you have shared experiences with people. And so um, this weekend, a lot of my friends were either out of town or they were preoccupied with comedy shows or with their significant others. Right. And I didn't really have any plans for the weekend. And so I haven't felt this in a while, but I felt really, really lonely. And it, I, I got kind of mm. sad. Aww. And it made me question like, well, do I even have any friends? And um, in that moment, that's when I reached out to a lot of my old high school friends because right. I went to a boarding school. So we all live in like different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I can be better about is keeping in touch with people who are not in my immediate community right and i i facetimed with a friend and she lives in la uh-huh. and it was great and that made you feel better it made me feel a lot better but i don't like how uncomfortable i was with being uh with my solitude are you alone a lot not really not i don't really. know that's it's hard because with, with comedy yeah, like all of our friends in comedy are, it's social, but it's also like a professional relationship. Right. So yeah, I yeah. think those two, it, it becomes a little bit, the lines get blurred yeah. and it becomes murky. It's like, I want to hang out with my friend, but they have a show. Yeah. So I'm like, well, is this my friend or is this just a work colleague? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like I, I rarely hang out with other comics. Yeah. Um, I w- and then when I see them at shows, I get really excited. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's my friend. And then I'm like, why don't I ever hang out with them? But I never do. So it is like a... Yeah. I don't know why. Like, I moved to New York for comedy. Yeah. So naturally, a lot of the friends that I've made in the city are in comedy. Yeah. And so in those moments where, you know, where I don't have a show and uh-huh. all of my friends have shows, that's when I start to question the foundation of my friendships with my fellow comedians. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's something that I've been, I've grappled with. Mm-hmm. Um, like in, ever since elementary school, like my birthday falls on spring break. Mm-hmm. And I remember one birthday, I invited like 15 of my friends and yeah. no one came. Because they were on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've just always had like an insecurity of like my friendships. Like I convinced maybe I was like undeserving of a friendship or mm. I didn't want to like inconvenience them in any way. Right. Yeah. But, you know, in this new, since going to therapy, I kind of just, I sometimes feel like I'm imposing myself too much. Mm -hmm. Where if I feel a lot of things, I'm very unhappy. That's when I'll hit up my friends and be like, hey, like, I'm really down. I need to talk to someone. Right. Yeah. And then now, I don't know. I'm just feeling insecure. I feel like I do that sometimes too. When I feel down, I'll reach out to people and then I feel like shit about it. Cause yeah, because like, you don't want to be bothered. Like, like, hey, how are you? How's, <laughs> how's your boyfriend? Good. You know what? I'm going through a lot right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm such a bitch. It's like, I never sure. talk to this it's person. Like, hey, what are you doing? Um, I'm just like chilling watching The Office and I'm like, great. Um, so, like the other day. <laughs> yeah. But I do that too. Yeah. yeah. That's rough. You know, I feel like. I, f- I mean, I feel like that a lot too, the loneliness thing. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way now in this world and how it's set up, you know, whether you're in comedy or not, you know? Like when I sit with my loneliness, I think it hits me harder now yeah. as an adult because I can preoccupy myself with work. Mm-hmm. And work can also be it it can be dangerous Mm -hmm. in that it can um distract me from my feelings Mm. and in this weekend where i normally have things planned i didn't have any professional engagements planned or social engagements Mm -hmm. that's when like the loneliness hit me like a ton of bricks right yeah huh (laughs) you're like huh well (laughs) can't help you that sucks Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like that too. But then I, I don't know what I do. I honestly, I just like stay home, and I, I don't think that that's like the way. I do I that. I just sort though. of sit in it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. What's the answer? I don't know. I think just speaking to it. Yeah. Like before, I would never tell people that I felt lonely. Mm. Yeah, that's a big step. I feel like just saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Either because I was embarrassed, or. I like saying it felt like it was giving 
truth to that notion that mm-hmm. I am a lonely guy. So that's mm-hmm. why I didn't want to, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of similar to how people, some people don't like going to the doctor. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Sorry, are you, were you done? Well, so people go to the doctor or what? No, ask me the question. Well, this, <laughs> this seems like a, this seems more interesting. Well, I, I'm just, I don't know if this is too personal, but I heard, I know that you have a, somebody that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Is that, was that contacting that person out of the question? Um, I, I don't know if this is Well, relevant. no, we, well, we made like tentative plans to hang out. Yeah. And, um, she said like, she was very honest. Like she felt like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not feeling up for it tonight. Right. So I think that's kind of what m- perhaps no. Is that what started the, cause I feel like if I, you know, when I'm seeing somebody and yeah. I make a plan to see them and then that falls through, that's like a very specific type of loneliness. Do you know what I mean? It's kind like, of. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think a little bit of that came into play. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But you know, it's, it's all on me. Right. Because it wasn't a concrete plan. It was kind of a verbal like, oh, if we're both free, let's hang. Right. And but yeah, but it's still like, you know, you expect to see somebody, especially if you're, you know, into them and you're seeing them. Yeah. And for that to fall through is like a specific feeling of loneliness, I think. I don't know. Sure. No, is I, that I, too that personal? No, it's not too personal. This is what the podcast is about, Brian. Being <laughs> real with our feelings. I just feel vulnerable. like a shiv going into my stomach. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, fine. Let's talk about is that it. Too, is that too personal? As you're like <laughs> twisting it into my Can stomach. Can we talk about this, Brian? <laughs> Can we talk about it on the podcast? Oh, man. Are you sure it's okay? Because I no, want to talk was a, about it. It was a combination of things. I think right, it was, right. uh, you know, romantically driven, professionally yeah. driven, and socially driven. And I think yeah. those three things were... I felt like I didn't have any engagements in those three arenas. Yeah, that that's makes when sense. I was like, "Wow!" I'd it's like I don't have a show. Well, like the feeling of not having a show on the weekend is also like, "Well, that was it. That's my career. Never gonna do comedy again." <laughs> Time to turn uh, into dust. I suck. So I better <laughs> quit now. Like it's Friday and I'm not booked. Yeah. Oh well, I I gave it a good go. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, I feel like that too. When I don't have shows, I'm like that 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 was it. Eight months of comedy, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I've um yeah. I don't feel that way as much anymore. Well, yeah, that's good. I think it's growth. I, yeah, I've accepted that there's ups and downs, just yeah. like with any industry. Mm-hmm. And when I don't have shows, I don't think it's a reflection of um my ability as a comedian and performer. Right. Yeah. All right. Um. But yeah, like we both talked about how we're in therapy. Like how long have you been seeing your therapist? Therapy. Um, I've been in therapy for my, this therapist now who is very great. And I think I've been in seeing her for probably two and a half years, maybe three. Wow. And she was the one that like led me to all these breakthroughs. And she's very, very good at like what she does. And what drove you? Like, was there a breaking point where you realize like I need to seek professional treatment? After my son was born. Yeah. You know, I've been living with depression all my life and I feel like it was just like a few months after he was born. Obviously, I had really intense postpartum depression because I've had depression, regular depression. And like, why wouldn't and I have the postpartum, postpartum depression? <laughs> <laughs> throw it in there. And um, maybe you're de- <laughs> sorry if this is insensitive, but what? maybe you're like so depressed that going into postpartum depression is like elevates your mood because it's yeah, not yeah, as like, bad. This is not as bad. As <laughs> like, no, no, it was way worse. Okay, than regular. Yeah. It was so bad. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you've ever had depression, but like yeah. it's postpartum depression is just like a whole, I, I'm I've sure. been depressed every day of my adult life. Right. Yeah. And the postpartum, it was like, I wasn't even close to ready for how shitty that felt. Yeah. It was the worst. I mean, I've heard about it. I've heard about postpartum depression dark. from my older sister. She, oh, she so had, I have a niece. She had it. Yeah. I, I don't think she struggled with it, but she talked about how she had some friends who yeah, yeah. like it's went so through dark. postpartum depression. Oh my God. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, you know, and then my parents came to visit while I was pregnant and I was like just so angry at them and I could just didn't have the words to like, I was just angry at them, but mm-hmm. because I didn't have the words to express it, it was kind of like, why are you being a fucking crazy bitch? And it just kind of seemed like they were right. Yeah. And I was like, why am I so mean to them? Yeah. And then, and then I was like, I need to not do this because I need to not there's a big part of me that understood that whatever I was going through, if I didn't fix it, I would pass it on to my son. Like I understood that. And when I went into therapy, I really understood that. I was like, thank God I did this because if I didn't, it would just be the same repeat story. Like, you know what I mean? So in that moment, it almost seems like it was uh, like an East Asian 
motivation because well, what you baby? just well no because you said if i don't fix this i'm yeah. going to transfer this to my son right and so rather than you coming to terms with how terribly you felt yeah you were again you were seeing the bigger picture like you were seeing beyond yes. yourself saying like okay th- as in the system which is my family yeah in order to be a good mother uh-huh i need to go seek treatment also which is really fucked up thinking on my part because i don't think i deserve it for myself but mm. i thought I'd, my son deserved it do you know what i mean yeah so like that's how little i value i mean myself. i don't think you should evaluate no, no, I mean, it as like, fucked up it's no but like i'm just saying like that's how little i put i place value on my own personal self mm. that i didn't look seek for help even though i was unhappy my entire life yeah until there was a somebody else that came in the picture and in my mind i had to like i had to like justify it like you know because it costs money and it's it feels very self-indulgent yeah i had to justify it by being were there, like, were there any doing this for my son and then and then through therapy i realized that's really fucked up i should have done it for myself yeah for my own happiness yeah and it shouldn't have taken uh, it's another person entering my life for me to realize that I deserve happiness, you know? Yeah. I realize that now. But yeah. You know, that's I, like I mean, ultimately it was, it's good because yeah. now that you've yeah, gotten treatment for your individual feelings, it seems like you can rationalize and understand like the motivate, like the initial motivations for going to therapy and yeah. why you consider them problematic. Mm-hmm. But that recognition is growth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now I I do things for myself, you know, now because yeah. I understand that. Yeah. How about you? How long have you been doing therapy? Um, I have been seeing this current therapist for about six months now. Okay. But prior to that, I saw one for about six months and then like two or three years ago. Oh, but and that's it? Yeah. Oh, okay. But I stopped for uh logistical reasons because around that time i quit my full-time corporate job yeah and i to become freelance and then that's when i lost uh my insurance benefits and then that's why i stopped seeing a therapist but then six months ago i was just in a really dark place and i felt um i was just my anxiety from day to day was increasing and uh i will you know i was in a relationship that felt incompatible like i knew it was incompatible but Uh like i just could not speak to that feeling and so i felt like i was in a like just stuck that -hmm. feeling of stuckness is what overwhelmed me Mm -hmm. and i knew that i had to go like be able to express this to someone because before that i just would not i just didn't feel comfortable saying these things to anyone and even like I would say to my friends and my friends would tell me like, you just got to speak to it. You got to be honest. But I just did not. I don't know. I just had the hardest time giving myself permission to do that. Right. And, you know, now I'm seeing this therapist and it's just been great. That's awesome. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to feel that you deserve it. Totally. I mean, it's. um, Yeah. But there's there's some elements of taboo with it, too. Yeah. Like I don't. Like, I don't think my dad doesn't know. My mom knows. Uh-huh. Um, they're very, I think they have a very, uh, they're like conservative Koreans. And so when they think of therapy, they just assume that there's something broken in you. Yeah. Whereas I think it's a, it's healthy for anyone. But even outside of therapy, yeah, it's just healthy. therapy is not received very well. No. Well, we were talking about how it's like, like when I tell my mom I'm going to therapy, I'm like, 정신병. Chungjin <laughs> means like mental I, yeah, psych. Basically, just ward. means like mental illness, but yeah. it, it's literally also a bad word. Yeah, like it's a cuss word. <laughs> so I, I'm like, mom, I'm gonna go see the Chungjin Byung I'm like, is that the, is that how I'm supposed to say it? It sounds like You're I'm like calling looking into a, thor- a thesaurus, and yeah, like yeah. the other word is like even more fucked up yeah, than Chungjin yeah, Byung. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, like we were saying the worst cuss word in Korea is like michinnom, right? Yeah, it's, it's worse like crazy, than like you crazy bitch. Yeah, crazy, crazy guy, crazy girl is a worse cuss word than fucker. Yeah. Or whatever. Shifarsekki or something, right? So totally. It's, it's literally the worst cuss word in Korea. Yeah. Mental illness is so stigmatized. Yeah, but, you know, but that's... Everyone's mentally ill, so <laughs> 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 what are they even... Um, despite what young me said, I don't think everyone is mentally ill. I think everyone's mentally ill. You don't think so? Um, who is not mentally ill? Name one person realistically who's not mentally ill that you know off the top of my head. Yeah. Or it could be a celebrity. So the listeners will know who they are. 
Gotta say, my man, Jesus Christ. Shouts. Shut up. Are you <laughs> kidding me? He's the um, most mentally ill. He has like... No. I, I honestly don't know. I think... Judd Apatow, maybe? I don't know. Is that... I, I just... I don't know I anything don't know. about him, but he just seems like he has his life together. I don't know. I, I don't... Li- I, made I don't, that up. He I don't like to... I just feel like, like you said, illness is a strong word. And, You're right. Um... You know, I think everyone everyone's a little everyone's a little messed up. That's his life though, you know? Yeah, like everyone has their struggles that they're going through. I just think that it's good for everyone to be able to have permission to speak to them. Yeah. Speak to those struggles. Right. And have a space to do that. And yeah. for some people it's easier than others. But everyone's if it's entitled. particularly challenging, I think that's where therapy can be very helpful. Everyone's entitled to their emotions and to show their emotions as long as it's not hurting other people. Totally. Like that's the thing of our that's the that's it right that's the gist yeah i think that's a that's a nice bow to what our podcast is all about that's it yeah it's like for this first episode you know we each kind of dived into our independent relationships to mental health yeah. and our journey to like coming to terms with our emotions uh-huh. and um yeah i mean that was that's the first episode of yeah. feeling asian for more of that tune in next time we're going to talk about insecurity is about sex yeah so but yeah this is like you know if you're listening we want to grow together yeah and cry uh, together cry together laugh together cry on the street fight people while drunk on soju it's basically (laughs) what i just want to do all the time but Uh, basically just feel together to feel yeah yeah my fist on their i'm just kidding i'll stop (laughs) i don't know what's wrong with me (laughs) (laughs) all right bye. bye